0: But anyway, it's good to be able to finish up. It's a two-part series. I spoke last week, part one. Uh, and today we're going to finish up part two of our series, Building Blocks to Spiritual Maturity. And so if you want to follow along, you can take notes on your program. Uh, and Again, if you want to take notes on your phone or a tablet or something like that, you can go to wfa.church, resources, live stream, and you can take notes there as well. So before we jump in, to uh, the next building blocks that we have for today. Let's review really quick what we talked about last week, so that way for those of you who weren't with us, you can kind of at least have a little understanding of what we talked about. We talked about growing as believers in Jesus, that that's God's desire, his will for us is that we grow in him. At the point of... of, of, of um, accepting Jesus into our lives at the, at the moment that we decide to make him Lord, the Bible says that we are born again as those spiritual infants, spiritual babies. But his desire is that we do not remain as spiritual babies, but that we would grow in spiritual maturity just like we do physically, right? Now, when we grow physically, we can't do anything to make ourselves grow any faster, Then what happens? And so it takes a lifetime, really, you know, well, at least the first half of your life to really grow to full maturity. That's what physically happens. But spiritually speaking, we grow based on our faith steps and actions. So we can grow rapidly if we make that our pursuit. So that's what we talked about last week. And so we talked about there's some different building blocks in spiritual maturity. And the first building block we talked about last week is faith. Faith is like the foundation, block one, the the, the most important thing we need, a strong foundation of faith. Faith is our belief in Jesus. It's our belief that he came to earth, he was born of a virgin, that he lived, lived a sinless life, that he died for our sins on the cross, he was buried in the grave, but then he rose victorious defeating hell, and purchasing our salvation. We believe that that's the basis of faith, that the building block one is a strong foundation of faith. Then we talked about the second building block was that of goodness, uh, really um, good moral living, good character. We talked about how you begin... With faith, but then you need to start getting rid of the old stuff that you used to do, that you used to embrace, that wasn't good. And now, as we add goodness, we begin to have a moral compass that comes from God. So that was the next thing we added. And then, then we added knowledge. We talked about, um, in, in 1 Kings, how Solomon and God had this discussion. And God said, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon asked for wisdom and knowledge. In fact, he, he asked for a, a, a discerning heart. He wanted to know right from wrong. And so so we need to grow in our knowledge. It's a part of our spiritual journey. Grow in our knowledge of who God is. God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, to grow in the knowledge of him through through the word. And so that was another step in the process of spiritual maturity. And then we uh, then went to the building block number four of of self-control. We all loved that one because we had that video we showed last week of the kids and the marshmallows. That was one of the best parts of the morning. Come on. Next to the gift card. But anyway, <laughs> self-control. That's personal discipline and yielding to the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Self-control. So those are our first four building blocks. And we're going to go on today and keep on building. But let's go to our main text. If you're following along, we are in 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 11. And this is our main text. So I'll read this this morning. Starting at verse 3 says, God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a truly religious, or some translations say godly life through our knowledge of the one who has called us to share in his own glory and goodness. In this way, he has given us the very great and precious gifts he promised, so that by means of these gifts you may escape from the destructive lusts that's in this world and may come to share in the divine nature. For this very reason, do your best to add goodness to your faith. To your goodness, add knowledge. To your knowledge, add self-control. To your self-control, add endurance. To your endurance, add godliness. To your godliness, add Christian affection. And to your Christian affection, add love. These are the qualities you need And if you have them in abundance, they will make you active and effective in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But if you do not have them, you are so short-sighted that you cannot see and have forgotten that you have been purified from your past sins. So then, my friends, try even harder to make God's call and his choice of you a permanent experience. If you do so, you will never abandon your faith In this way, you will be given given the full right to enter the kingdom, eternal kingdom, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity that we can look into your word. We're asking for understanding and knowledge So that way we can take the things that we hear in Scripture, the things that we read, and we can apply them to our lives. And as we apply them to our lives, we understand and know that there are benefits that come when we live our lives according to your word and according to your plan. I ask, Father, that you'll give me the ability to say what you once said today, and I pray that all of our hearts and our minds will be open and receptive to what you will say. If there's anything the enemy wants to do to try to distract us during this time, we pray, God, that you will just stop that, that there will be nothing that will keep us from hearing the word of God and applying it to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. I need a drink of water. It's going to be hot today. You know that? I'm all for summer being here, but man, someone flipped the switch in a couple days and we are there. Here we go. Let's continue our climb. Building blocks to spiritual maturity. Here we go. We left off last week at self-control, and so that brings us to our block today. Block number five is endurance. Endurance. Here's a definition of the word endurance for us today. The ability to withstand hardship or adversity. The ability to stand in place when you're going through hardship or adversity. I have a little video for you. I just want to show you just a little example of this. Would you watch the screen with me this morning? Oh, Charlie Brown. I'll hold the football and you kick it. You say you'll hold it, but what you really mean is you'll pull it away and I'll land on my back and I'll kill myself. But I feel I have really come to know you. I now understand that you are kind, compassionate, brave, and funny. No one would pull a football away from a person with all those qualities. He's right. I would never pull the ball away from someone with all those qualities. I'm gonna kick this ball all the way to the moon. Ah! And gullible. I forgot to mention gullible. Maybe you've seen Charlie Brown uh, cartoons before. There's 12 different episodes where he goes through this exact same scenario. There's good old Lucy, she just seems so nice. She seems so pure in her intentions. And she says, oh, Charlie Brown, why don't you come kick this football? And He's always trying to figure this out. Okay, maybe this is the time, this is the time I'm gonna be able to kick it. And he, he's convinced this will happen, and he goes back and he runs, and I mean, I've seen every Charlie Brown cartoon, and I counted, there's at least 12 times this has happened in this, the life of Charlie Brown. So this classic cartoon, gives us a a humorous way to look at something that's very real. And and the reality is this. In life, we will face adversity and experience hardship. Amen? Amen? Might not be exactly like that, but we will face hardship and adversity in life. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and then verse 12. This is what James says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. There's three examples in Scripture Um, that we can find uh, of endurance. And we're going to talk about these three examples. And they're actually people. The first example is Job. The story of Job. We know the story of Job. It's found in the Old Testament, right? His story, what happened in his life. But hear what James says about him in James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. James is talking about Job. Listen to this. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endured under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, and the the Lord uh, was full of tenderness and mercy. So here we have Job, his story back in the book of Job in the Old Testament, and uh, it's we know that he was a righteous man, a godly man who feared God. We know that that was the type of person that Job was. But, but his story includes an example of, of ultimate human, human suffering. So when you look at his life, he went through this time where he lost his finances, he lost his, his, um, his livelihood, he lost a majority of his livestock, all of his children were killed in one day, As were a number of his servants, Uh, they were killed. And eventually, Job himself even lost his health. We know a lot of the book of Job talks about where he was suffering with this this disease that he had and and these these boils. And, and, And he just was at the end. And he was trying to just figure out what was going on. But the thing about it, even in his suffering, he refused to turn his back on God. He refused. Now, if you know anything about his story, his wife even came to him at one point, and she said, Job, will you just curse God so you can die and get over it, be done with it? I'm I'm glad for my spouse, but I don't like advice like that, you know? (laughs) Even his wife was telling him, just curse God so you can die, and the, the suffering will end. But Job did not do that. Even in his suffering, he refused to turn his back on God. He endured, he trusted God, and eventually God restored Job. That's his story. So he's one example of endurance in scripture. Another example of endurance in scripture is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Paul was someone who knew how to endure well. This scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 Verses 4-10. through Listen to the words that Paul writes. Listen intently to what he says here. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and gone without food. We Proved ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preached the truth, God's power working in us. We used the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest. But they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, yet we have everything. Perseverance. Endurance. I haven't experienced a lot of the things that he's experienced there, have you? I mean, our, our experiences might be different. It doesn't mean that we're any lesser, but, but this is a great example. Paul persevered in his personal walk with the Lord and he persevered in his work for God. Both things. He did that at the, at, in his life at the same time. And the same, you know, we need to understand is he knew that one day he would have to stand before God and uh, be rewarded for the things that he had accomplished for the kingdom of God. And, and really it's the same for us too. Do you guys realize that? That we too will have to stand before God? Second Corinthians 5:10 says, For we will all stand before Christ and be judged. We will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So Paul knew that, and he he endured. He pressed on, he persevered. He goes, One day I will stand before God, and I will be rewarded for what I have done with what God has given me. And that's a kind of a scary place to be, isn't it? We have to stand before God and give an account. But we're talking about growing as believers in Jesus, living for the will of God in our lives so that we will be spiritually mature and that we'll be effective in our Christian walk with the Lord, but we will also be effective in our work for the Lord as believers, amen? amen. Just like Paul, he knew that he would stand before God and we will too. So both Paul and Job, are great examples of endurance from Scripture. But the ultimate example that we will ever have when it comes to endurance is Jesus. He is the ultimate example. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to the life of faith... Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiated and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you will not become weary and give up. Jesus endured. As he was nailed to the cross, we know that people stood around him and they mocked him and they ridiculed him as he hung on the cross. In fact, it says that they said, come on down off the cross and then we will believe you. They mocked him as he hung on the cross. Dying for our sins. And Jesus could have done that. He could have chosen at that point to come down. But you see, the human response would be to do such a thing as that. To come down, to desert one's post, to give up, to go AWOL. That is a human type of response. But Jesus had a divine response. His response was this. To stay to hang on, to endure, to not give up. That's what Jesus did. He did it for you, and he did it for me. He endured the cross. Friends, we can persevere. We can endure. We can press on through life's challenges and hardships because Jesus has made the way for us. And he will continue to make the way for us. He endured. That's what Jesus did. We also need to realize that this spiritual journey that we are on in maturity in Christ, that is, it is a it's a marathon. We are enduring. You know, this isn't like you know a, a sprint where we get all of our energy and we expend all of all that we have in a short distance. The, 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 we have to realize that God is looking to us to be endurance runners in the Christian life. That we need to endure like that. The goal of a marathon Christian should be consistency. Consistency. You know, experienced runners. You know, they want to run the, the mile that they run um, the same pace every mile, mile after mile, so that way they keep moving forward. They realize that if they stop, it's going to be that much harder to get going again and get up to pace. So that's what the Lord looks to us to be as marathon Christians, is that consistency. Keep moving forward, not giving up, not stopping, saying, well, I just can't go anymore. No, we need to endure and persevere because God wants us to do that in our Christian pursuit of him. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We are endurance runners in the journey with Jesus. So now on this step that we are moving forward, okay, with consistency and endurance as we've added this block into our spiritual maturity pursuit, Okay, we're ready to add the next building block. Okay, so let's go to our next building block. Block number six is godliness. Adding godliness. That can kind of be scary. How do we add godliness to our lives? Well, the simplest explanation of this is godlikeness. Godlikeness. Think of it in that terms. 2 Corinthians 7, one reads, therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God, godliness. See, at this stage of our building in our Christian walk, we are truly um, pursuing a walk of holiness in the character of Jesus when we're thinking about adding godliness to our lives. The disciples were first called Christians in Acts chapter 11. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but that was the first time that the, the disciples were called Christians. And the, that's the very word we, we call ourselves when people ask, well, are, are you a Christian? Or, well, Yes, I'm a Christian. So what we're saying is, yes, we, we're, we're Christ-like. We are followers of Jesus. We want to be Christ-like, Christian. That's what it means. Now, I want to show you a picture of something up here. We have a picture I want to show. Um, maybe you've seen something uh, like this, this picture before. Let's see if it can pop up here. Have you guys seen those before? Those bracelets? WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? When I was a youth pastor is when this first came out, and this was like, it was big. You had to have the bracelets. I think you had T-shirts. I think they even made like bumper stickers. It's like, what would Jesus do? And so this was always something that you would consider. You would wear this band to, in life every day, So you can consider all things in light of what would Jesus do. I remember that. In fact, I had bracelets like that. I think the kids in our youth group had those bracelets as reminders. But the reality is this shouldn't be some distant fad from years gone by. But this should be something that is a living reality to us as followers of Jesus. The realization that every word Every action and every attitude we have convey the life and the nature of Jesus Christ. This just isn't making a a, a decision, oh, I want to do this. But it's understanding as as we belong to Jesus, that the very words that we speak, the actions we take and our attitudes, that they convey the life of Jesus. His life in us. We can't bring godliness up in our own selves this is the pursuit of godliness in our lives and following after him. So there's three essentials to the godly life. I want to share these with you. There's like three points. Pastor Jerry has three points. I've got like three points after a point and then three more points and then three more points. So Pastor Jerry tried to beat that one. Just kidding. Three essentials in living a godly life. Number one is a pure heart. We need a pure heart. A heart that is clean before God and free from sin. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us come near to God with pure hearts and a confidence that comes from having faith. Let's keep our hearts pure, our consciences free from evil. Another thing we need, along with pure heart, is we need pure thoughts. We recognize that sin begins in the thought process. Before we ever act it out here, it begins in. Here, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We must filter our thought life. Any of you guys have these? One of these at home? It's a Brita. The Brita, and so uh, the object is you take water that is unfiltered and you begin to pour water into the Brita filter. This is not a magic trick. No bunnies are going to pop out of here. No gas cards are going to appear in the seat pocket in front of you. (laughs) So what begins to happen is we pour in Unfiltered, unpure water, and there is a filter that resides in this area right here, and it begins the filtering process. What is what, what is happening when that filters? What what is it doing? Okay, it's yep, it's capturing impurities. That's the job in the filter, this white part in the middle here. It's capturing the impurities that might be in the water that's coming into the reserve here. It flows through the filter, and it captures the impurities. So that way, when we pour this water out, it is pure. has no other things because they've been captured in that filter. And friends, we need to take our thoughts captive. Our thoughts. Need be, we need to filter our thoughts 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to who? Jesus, to Christ. Not ourselves. My thoughts aren't going to be obedient to myself because I'm still a human being. I still live in a flesh and blood body. My thoughts aren't going to bow down to Darth but I will take these thoughts captive and they can become obedient to Christ in me. Amen. That's what he does. He enables us to have this filter, making these thoughts captive so that way what remains is good and pure. But we have to take the initiative, don't we? God, Jesus won't force us to take every thought captive. We are encouraged. Paul encourages us to take every thought captive. He was writing to the Philippian church, right? But it's to us as well. We need to have pure thoughts along with a pure heart. And then number three, we need pure motives. Pure motives. We will only do things with the purest of intentions in our Christian walk. Psalm one, nineteen, thirty-six 36 says, Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Pure motives. Three essentials, heart, thoughts, and motives, if we want to live a godly life, all right? So that is block of godliness, building block number six. got to keep moving on, got to keep building, got to keep going forward. So now that we're pursuing holiness in our life, in, in the character of Jesus, and we're growing in our growth journey, we need to build to the next level. So now we're going to go to building block number seven, Christian affection, Christian affection. Some translations use the words brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. If you go back to the Greek, it's phila, the word phila, which is the root of Philadelphia, that town on the east coast, the city which is known as the city of brotherly love. But when you see the headlines, it doesn't look too loving to me. (laughs) Philadelphia, from the word phila, okay, brotherly kindness. Kindness. Christian affection. So here's what our block of Christian affection means. It's love for fellow believers in Jesus Christ, loving one another as spiritual family members, having the same Heavenly Father. That's what we're talking about right here. That's what this this Christian affection, this love that we're talking about here, this is for the family of God. Because we belong to a spiritual family and the head of our family is Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father. F- Philippians 2, 1-4 through says, Christ encourages you. His love comforts you. God's Spirit unites you. And you are concerned for others. Now make me completely happy. Live in harmony by showing love for each other. Be united in what you think. As if you were only one person. Don't be jealous or proud, but be humble and consider others more important than yourselves. Care about them as much as you care about yourselves. So, Paul is again speaking directly to Christian believers here, the church, he's speaking to us. We are instructed by these words right here we are instructed to serve, to work in unity. And to build each other up. Those are three things he tells us right here in this passage. So serving. In verse 4, he said, care about them as much as you care about yourself. We need to understand that the more mature that we become in Christ, the greater our desire will be to serve others. That should be an outflow of our life, the more that we grow and mature in Jesus. You see, at this point in our spiritual growth journey we will be serving others more than they are serving us. That's kind of a telltale sign. When we, when we look at this Christian affection being a part of our, of our Christian walk in our lives, that, that we will be serving others more than they serve us. Okay, So that's serving. The next thing we're told is to work together in unity. Verse two of what we just read. It says, now make me completely happy. Live in harmony by showing love for each other. Be united in what you think as if you were one person. Look at that imagery right there. I love that. So think about it this way. Churches in our valley here, the greater Wenatchee area, working together to make an impact for the kingdom of God. We can accomplish so much more together than we can individually. Now, Pastor Allen is no longer here. He's back in kids' life. Doing baseball day, he's got his jersey. But if he was here right now, I said, Pastor Allen, would you come over here? I want you to come over to this piano, and I would like you to lift this piano off the ground. Could he do that? He, he kind of looks pretty buff, but I guarantee you, he could not himself lift that piano off the ground. Because this piano weighs probably in excess of 1,200 pounds. He could not come and just pick it up off the ground. He couldn't do it. It's impossible. But what if I said, Alan, pick eight people in the room today to come up here and help you lift this piano off the ground. Could they do it? I know they could because I've seen it happen. There's been times where we've had to move this piano off the stage and it takes eight to ten people to do it. But, and I've been one of the eight to ten, so I'm not talking about something I wasn't willing to do myself. I was there. And we, and we lift, so is Sean. But you know what? When you get that many people around it and we lift, it's easy. You can just go whoop. In fact, it's kind of funny because when we've done it, people are like, whoa. they got to actually have to, it's, it almost feels light because we have so many people. But you do it all at once, like, whoa, everyone, slow down. we got to move this. And so a lot of people working together can accomplish that goal. One person could not. Pastor Allen could not. I could not. But many people working together could accomplish that. That's the strength that we have when we work together in unity. As we serve the Lord together, unity together with other Christians, we can accomplish so much more. Instead of being divided church to church, competitions like this. No, we work together. We are one body of believers working together in unity as though we are one person belonging to a spiritual family who Jesus is the Heavenly Father of, working together in unity. And finally, we're instructed to build up other believers. Verse 3 says, Don't be jealous or proud, but be humble and consider others more important than yourselves. We could all use uh, a little more building up in our lives, couldn't we? I could. I believe you could. We could all use more building up. And it should come... By loving one another in the family of God. To encourage one another. You see someone going through a hard time, build them up. A word of encouragement, a card. Say, hey, can I pray with you? I want to encourage you today. I want to build you up. You see someone who's struggling. Say, I know it's hard. I know that that our tendencies sometimes and our journey sometimes, we feel like we're going all out for Jesus and we're strong and we're moving forward. There's times where we struggle. And I sense you're struggling. Can I pray with you? Building up each other in the faith. That's what we should be doing. Encouraging one another, loving and caring for each other as family members in the body of Christ, working together for one cause, that is the kingdom of God. That is the building block of Christian affection. So now we are left with only one building block left this morning. And um, we need to add it to our spiritual journey. Uh, But this, this block, even though it's the last block, it's not the least block. In fact, it's the most important block, and it's the building block of love. Amen. Defining love in the English language is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do, and here's why, because we'll say we love our spouse, and we love our dog. <laughs> we'll say we love music, and we love sports. We love our children, we love our cars, and we love coffee. In fact, the, re- the reality is, we pretty much attach the word love to anything that we like a whole lot. We use the word love with it when we use it in the English language. So it kind of comes to be diluted. What, what does love mean? Especially what does love mean here in this passage, in the scripture? Because it's the problem. If we can't define love correctly here, we're going to miss the main point, the big deal. We need, a, we need to know what's, what it is. So in the Greek, the word used here in 2 Peter chapter 1 is Agape. Agape love. It is the highest form of love and it is commonly referred to as the God kind of love. Agape love. That's the word that's used here in the Greek in 2 Peter 1. It's not a romantic love or a brotherly love like we just read about, Christian affection. It's not that kind of love. Agape love is absolute love that is unconditional and it exists regardless of feelings or merit. I'm going to read that again. Agape love is absolute love that is unconditional, and it exists regardless of feelings or merit, whether someone is worthy or not. See, in in conditional love, we see a lot of conditional love in our world around us. If you do this, then I will do this. If you do this, then I will love you. and it can be pretty ugly in the world around us. I've seen some things in in, in the life of my extended family where people say to a person, I love you, but then they're physically abusive to them. That's not the kind of love that God has, and that's not the kind of love that he's speaking of here, the agape love. Unconditional, unconditional, no strings attached, Regardless of feelings, a lot of times we we say we love someone based on feelings. People get divorced all the time because they say, well, I've fallen out of love. This is the highest form of love, unconditional, regardless of feelings or merit. This is the kind of love that God wants us today to see at the top of our building in maturity. It's a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love, a love that pursues the goods, the goods of others, above our own. A Godly love is always shown by action. Romans five eight, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's unconditional love. He didn't say, "Well, you guys got to get your act together before I'll die for you." Nope. God sent Jesus while we were in our sin to come and to be our sacrifice. That is unconditional love. He said, I'm coming. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to go to the cross. I will spill my blood. I will shed my life for you so that way your sins can be forgiven based on what I do. I will do this. Whether you ever accept this or not, I'm going to do this for you as a part of the mission of God for the entire world that's what he did. Agape love is always shown by action. Agape love can only be known and expressed by those who have a relationship with Jesus because it's a love that comes from him. Apart from him, we cannot truly love this way. It's impossible. And maybe you've had this, had this happen in your life. I have many times. My, my, my parents, um, were they, had, they were a foster family. They had lots of foster kids who would come in and live for seasons. They were, we never adopted, but the, there was constantly turnover of kids in the foster care system. And there were kids who who come in, and my mom would say, "The Lord has to give me a love for this child," literally, because it was just it was tough and it was rough. But time and time again, that's the kind of love she received—to love those kids where they were, regardless. A lot of these were teenagers. They took in a, a girl with a young baby one time, who like wrecked my parents' car, destroyed the upstairs of their house. My mom needed some agape love. Agape love is always shown by action. When we cannot truly love apart from him without this agape ton of love. Without love, we cannot live the life that Christ calls us to. You understand that? We... we, Without this kind of love in our life, we will never be what God wants us to be. Love is the one element that cannot be absent from the Christian life. That's worth writing down and remembering. That's worth, again, I said last week tweeting. I don't tweet, but if you want to tweet that, that it's, it, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. Love is one element that cannot be absent in the Christian life. They will know that we are Christians by our Amen. By our love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives us a practical view of what this God kind of love is like and how it operates. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to look at verses 1 through 7, and then verse 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I will have gained nothing. Nothing. Verse four, this is what love is, and this is what love does. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. It is rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now to verse 13. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. This is what love is, and this is what love does. So why is love the last step in our building journey? Why do you think it's the last? Well, the reason that it's it's the last in this is because unconditional love will require the greatest sacrifice in our Christian lives. The greatest sacrifice will come when we love unconditionally. This building block of love is also like frosting on a cake. How many frosting friends do I have out here? I love frosting. And it's always sad when you get a piece of cake and it doesn't have frosting all the way around it. I'm usually kind of like a corner piece. Give me the corner so at least I got two of four and a top. So, so, so when I think about love here, it kind of why is it one of the last things? Well, it demands the greatest sacrifice, but it's like, it's like frosting on a cake. It's supposed to cover everything that we do. That's what love is supposed to be in our lives. It covers everything. That's why it's in the position it is in this building journey that we've been talking about. Love should be the capstone, if you will, of spiritual maturity. Love. Unconditional love. Agape love. Eight blocks in two weeks. Here they are again we have faith. To our faith, we add goodness. To our goodness, we've added knowledge. Then we've added self-control. After self-control, we added endurance. We've added godliness. We added Christian affection. And then we have the capstone. We have love. Love. As the worship team comes this morning, I just want to conclude by looking at the amazing benefits that come when we add these qualities in our life. We've, in our main passage of 2 Peter chapter 1, we've focused mostly on these, these elements in verses 5 through 7, but verses 8 through 11 tell us something about the benefits that we have as we apply these and add these to our life. Verse eight says that we will be effective and productive Christians. This is what it says in verse eight. These are the qualities you need and if you have them in abundance, hear that, they will make you effective and active in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will reflect God's love and peace and we will know our purpose so we can live the life that Christ has called us to. That's one of the benefits we have as we add these. Another benefit we have is in verse 10, where it says we will not fall away from our faith if we add these things. Verse 10 says, so my friends, try even harder to make God's call and his choice of you a permanent experience, so that if you do, you will never abandon your faith. That's an amazing, amazing benefit of adding these elements to our lives. And the third thing, in verse 11, it says that we will be welcomed into heaven. Verse 11, in this way you will be given the full right to enter the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those are the results that will come as we pursue Jesus and grow as believers in him. As we add these things, this this is, it's a prescription for growth and for life, and these are the benefits that come out of it. If you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, drawing attention to the fact that Peter laid out the challenge to each and every one of us, back then and today. The question is, how far will we go? How high will we climb? In two months from now, when you look back, will you still be at the beginning? Will you still be at that infancy stage? Or will you be looking up to see how far is in front of you and be able to look back and see the the progression that you've made in Christ. That's the challenge that Peter's given to us and that's the choice we have today, it's up to us. Will we pursue the Lord? Will we grow in him? I would encourage all of us to keep climbing upward and onward in Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're here with us. You are ever present, always filling our lives with your love, with your mercy, with your peace, with your grace, whatever we are in need of. God, that's where you meet us at. And so this morning, as we stand in your presence, and we think about what we've heard from the word of God, we think about these things that Peter is instructed us see in. And now we are coming up to a choice that we have. Will we grow in our pursuit of you? Will we grow as believers in Jesus? Will we allow our lives to be transformed into something greater than ourselves in a way that we can be active in our faith so that we can be effective for what you want in our lives and what you want us to do for you in this life? This morning, Father, may we consider what is before us. And I pray, God, that we would look to you for all the answers. That we would be submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives and not hold anything back. We thank you for this today. In Jesus' name. Let's continue to worship together.